Welcome into NHL at the Rink. Dan Rosen here, and I am flying solo today because my esteemed co-host Sean Rourke is technically flying right now to Colorado, heading out there for the outdoor game Colorado Avalanche against the Los Angeles Kings Saturday night at Air Force Academy. He is probably landing right now as we record this on Tuesday, and I will be heading out there on Thursday. Very much looking forward to getting out there. I've never been to Colorado Springs, number one, but if you've heard me talk about it, you've hopefully seen me write about it, how much I enjoy these outdoor games. And if this one is anything like the one that was at Navy a few years ago between the Washington Capitals and Toronto Maple Leafs, it's going to be special at Air Force Academy this weekend. But without Sean, the show must go on. And in a few minutes, you'll hear from Kevin Weeks. We're going to have him on from the NHL Network, former NHL goalie. So Kevin will jump on. We'll go around the league with him. Lots of things to talk about here in advance of the NHL trade deadline, which is February 24th. And we'll also have Emily Benjamin on. She's our Boston-based writer, but she's out in Vancouver right now working on a pretty unique story, one that I've never actually had the opportunity to do. So she will touch on that as well. But let's jump right into it, because really just a few minutes before we started recording, we got the word from Edmonton Oilers general manager Ken Holland that Connor McDavid is out two to three weeks with a quad injury. That means that the Oilers captain could miss anywhere from about six to 12 games, probably somewhere in the middle of that, given the timeline that Holland gave on Tuesday. This is a huge blow. Let's not sugarcoat this at all this is a team right in the thick of the playoff race in the pacific division three points back right now of the vancouver canucks tied for second with 64 points with vegas and calgary one point ahead of the arizona coyotes they have games in hand so that's the good thing two each on vancouver vegas and calgary three on arizona but Losing McDavid changes everything for the Edmonton Oilers. We'll certainly touch on this with Kevin Weeks. I do expect Ryan Nugent Hopkins moves back to the middle, but that only further widens the hole that they have on the left side there. Their need for a left wing uh, in advance of the deadline grows even more with Connor McDavid out. He'll be back, but they need a left wing. They need somebody to come in there to help stabilize that scoring. So, Big news, obviously, out of Edmonton. That comes Tuesday morning. Monday night, we get the word of the trade. A big trade, actually. The Pittsburgh Penguins get Jason Zucker from the Minnesota Wild. They send Alex Galchenyuk, defense prospect Kalen Addison, and a conditional first-round draft pick, which will be a 2020 first-round draft pick because the condition on it is if the Penguins don't make the playoffs this season, it goes to 2021. They're making the playoffs. That's not going to be a problem. And Jason Zucker is the perfect fit for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Love this move from Jim Rutherford, who seems to always get his man, and he does here. He's wanted Jason Zucker. There were reports that he would have been, they were trying to trade to get him, trade Phil Kessel to Minnesota over the summer to get Jason Zucker. That didn't work out. Kessel got traded to Arizona for Galchenyuk, or in a trade for Galchenyuk. Galchenyuk didn't work out, and here's Rutherford writing that wrong. Zucker is signed for three more seasons after this one, $5.5 million per. He fits right into the window for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's going to play with Sidney Crosby. He flies out there, Zucker. He's got a ton of speed, just like Brian Rust on the right side, immediately fills the hole that Jake Gensel left with his shoulder surgery, and then they've got more scoring depth for this window of opportunity. And and good on Jim Rutherford here for recognizing that this is a window of opportunity for the Pittsburgh Penguins. As long as you have Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Letang in their primes, you have to go for it. 
there will be a time when the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to have to rebuild. There will be a general manager, and I don't think it'll be Rutherford, who's going to have to deal with that. And it's going to be a hard thing to do, made a lot easier if they're walking around with a few more rings on their fingers. And they've already got three, two in the last few years, and Zucker helps them, and I think he could be a difference maker for them. And for the Wild, and we'll, we'll again, we'll touch on this with Kevin Weeks here in a moment, for the Wild, it just shows the direction that Bill Guerin wants this team to go in. We had Garen on uh, about a month ago, I think, uh, on this podcast, and he talked maybe a little longer than that, and he talked about how he was willing to give the Wild time, that he needed to give them patience before he was going to act, that he needed to really get closer to the three-quarter mark of the season to see. He gave them time. They're not out of it. They're only four points out of the playoffs when he makes this trade, but they're not really going anywhere. And if you don't, you don't trade Jason Zucker with three years left on his contract – if you think that your team has a chance to win right now. He clearly doesn't. This is the first move in what I think will be a series of them, maybe not before the deadline, but certainly this summer as Bill Guerin goes in and the Minnesota Wild go into a rebuilding phase. It very much reminds me of what the New York Rangers did a few years ago. They're close in the playoffs, three points out, and they send a letter to their fans saying, we're going to go rebuild. We're not going anywhere, even though we're three points out. They need to get younger. The Wild need to get younger. They need to get faster. The good thing for them, they got a defense they can build around or make some moves off of that D and still be pretty good with Ryan Suter, Matt Dumba, Jared Spurgeon, and Jonas Brodeen. So, that's an interesting it's, – it's a direction I thought that Bill Guerin was going to take this team in. And we're going to get to that, the McDavid injury, and more. We'll get to our first guest right now. we got Kevin Weeks on the line, NHL Network. He's been all over it. He, he, he could talk about anything with the NHL with Kevin Weeks, former NHL goalie. Kevin, welcome in. How you doing? Good, man. How are you? What's I'm, going on? I'm doing great. What's going on is the Edmonton Oilers got an issue, don't they? Connor McDavid. They certainly do. Mm-hmm. What's what do you take? What's your takeaway from that? I mean, two to three weeks. We know he's a mm-hmm. quick healer, obviously, quad injury, two to three weeks. But this could be anywhere from six to twelve games for McDavid. What, what do you think the Oilers? How do they handle this? Can they handle this? I'm not sure. I think time will tell. I think the best part for the Oilers is now uh, Leon Draisaitl. You know, those two guys are one and two in terms of their productivity, which helps. So. For most teams, if you lose an elite scorer and arguably the best player in the game, and McDavid, but then you add another one in Dreisaitl who's still there and who's healthy, you know that goes a long way. At least you can kind of offset that. So I'm curious to see. You know, Dreisaitl leads the league, got 85 points. Connor had 81. Fortunately, they have Dreisaitl as well. Another thing for the Oilers, for me in their team overall, is they've got a great power play this year. It was inept last year. Yeah, but their power play is amazing this season. And by the way, they're you know nine games over over five hundred right now. They sit second in the Pacific, so and they've got a great home record. So all those are things to me that are, are much better for them. I had a chance to talk to uh, to talk to their head coach numerous times, Dave Tippett, but I saw him in person. Uh, aside from text, I saw him in person at the Garden when they were here earlier in the year. And he said one of the first things in his meeting with Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid said that he doesn't want it to be you know a two guy team, a two player team with him and Drysaddle. They, and Dreisaitl feels the same way. I sat down and talked to Dreisaitl during All-Star Weekend in St. Louis. Uh, and both of those players and their coach said that they want it to be a complete team, a full team. So I think the biggest thing for them now is they'll be tested. As you just pointed out, this is horrible news. It's horrible for their team and for the league. But the fact that overall now um, they are playing a little bit more of a team game this season and the fact that they're scoring and the power plays as good as it is, 
that might be able to offset some things. Lujan Hopkins played better of late. Uh, of course, they had the youngster, Kyler Yamamoto, the first-rounder from a few years ago. He's just a, sh- a shade under a point per game right now. So we'll see where this shakes out. But this will definitely rattle, and it will certainly test them, that's for sure. And if they can come through it, good on them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it reminds me a little bit of you know Crosby going out of the lineup for an extended period of time with the Penguins, and they still have Malkin. But exactly. you, need, you need more than that, and that's probably where Ryan Nugent Hopkins steps in, right? He's got – like you touched on it, he's been better, but he's going to have to elevate his game more. I imagine he's going to go into the middle now. Yeah, I would imagine. He's a natural center iceman, Nugent Hopkins anyways, so – um, you know, the fact that he has experience playing there. I did a lot of those games when I first started doing TV for Hawking in Canada since his, since he came in the league, Nugent Hopkins. So I know his game quite well. He's typically a pass first, um, pass second, maybe even pass third guy. He's more of a disher. But all that, said, all that being said, he's got the opportunity now to get more minutes and to get more looks. He certainly has the skills. He's always had the talent. So uh, this will be a, a big test for him. But what I do like about him, if I can say, is the fact that he got into that scrap against Monaghan. And I think that was great yeah. in the Battle of Alberta a couple games back. I think that was great for a few reasons. Number one, Monaghan, super skilled, super talented. At times can leave you wanting more in terms of intensity. And the same thing for Nugent Hopkins, although Monaghan's a bigger man. But I really love that fight for both teams. I love that. It's the best rivalry in our league right now this season. But in the most intense games. But all that to say, I think that uh, Nugent Hopkins, he certainly has the skills and the ability and the hockey IQ to be able to make plays and be a little bit more productive. So let's see if he can do that now as they go forward. He certainly has the ability to, though. And obviously the McDavid news comes out Tuesday uh, morning or early afternoon. Monday night we get the news on the trade between the Wild and the Penguins. Jason Zucker going over to the Penguins. Um, Perfect fit, if you ask me. Just, Just an absolutely perfect fit. Another great trade or rectifying a bad trade, but a great trade uh, by Jim Rutherford here. You know, I was fortunate to play for a lot of great managers, and, and Jimmy's right up there among them, a Hall of Famer. And, you know, there's a lot of things about Jimmy that I like. But one thing specifically is he leads and he manages on his toes. He's not reactive. He's not too quiet. He goes out and makes big-time deals, and he doesn't use a salary cap as an excuse. And this thing with Zucker, as you know, there was basically thought to be uh, what was close to being a done deal a couple times with Pittsburgh and Minnesota, and then it never fully manifested, nor did it come to fruition. And now they're able to agree upon terms, and, and it's official. And I definitely think that Zucker, by way of his speed, his explosiveness, uh, his ability to get separation from defenders or put defenders under duress, stylistically, I think this is a really good fit for him. From a hockey standpoint, I think this is a much better fit for him because I feel like he's been kind of bottled up at times in many. And I just feel like the way Pittsburgh plays and with that level of intensity and speed in their game and pace, I totally agree. I think it'll be a great fit. It has the potential to be a great fit. And keep in mind now, with Gensel being out, you know, they missed Gensel in a big way because he was off to a tremendous start. He was having a great year. But now the thought is, at least on paper, is that Zucker can just slide in Right. And play that role. So uh, I think it's a great addition by by uh, Jimmy Rusford. Massive move. I love the move. He also seems like the guy that, like like the type of winger that Sidney Crosby enjoys playing with. That 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 he needs to that he that he needs on his left wing or his right wing. Speed. Uh, that 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 element of understanding where to go. The you know willing to play below the goal line if need be. Can get to those pucks. This is the type of winger, and that's what Gensel is. This is the type of winger that that fits with Sidney Crosby. Kunitz was it for years, right? 
absolutely. And so was Pascal Dupuis. Even Pascal yeah. Dupuis was great there. He was really good with Sid. Sid loved playing with him. As you said, Kunitz. And obviously, Duper, in terms of Dupuis, had so much speed. He was so fast. Zucker has a ton of speed as well. And the good part about those burners like that is when they're willing to do that starting from being beneath the puck, it goes a long way because they don't forego their responsibilities in the D zone. And that's something that Mike Sullivan's done a great job of this year, some of it by way of function of injuries. But I think overall, just the simple fact that they're playing a more complete game and they're starting in their D zone again, and then they're once they cleared the D zone, then they're going on the attack. But they're not cheating being on the offensive side of the puck when the puck's in the D zone for the wrong reason. So I, I definitely think that Zucker, by way of those traits that he has in his game and those characteristics and the fact that he can start low and handle the D zone and then take off and engage the afterburners, the way Sully coaches, I, I think that fits with him. The way Pittsburgh plays and, and the way Sid plays and thinks and, and sees the game, at least as of now, on paper, I think that should be a really nice union between those two guys. Let's stick in the Metro because I wanted to ask you about the Rangers and their goaltending situation. You you know Henrik Lundqvist very well. You played with him. Heck, you broke him in, right? I mean, you were the one that mm-hmm. broke him into the league uh, mm-hmm. as a goalie with the Rangers. And now it it certainly seems like he's on his way out eventually here. And Shesterkin looks terrific and looks to me like he's the new number one with the New York Rangers. How do you think this plays out? How's Henrik feeling about all this? Well, I think I just preface this by saying, you know, objectively, I always try to be as objective as possible. And Hank and I are great friends. We remain great friends. Um, he knows that I think the world of him and, uh, and his wife and their family. And he's a Hall of Fame lock. To answer how he's feeling about it, I would put it to you this way, without violating any of our confidence in our relationship and our friendship. I put it to you this way. When you have a guy that, like Merzlikens, which we'll get to in a second, but even different to Merzlikens in that it didn't take him three or four or five or six games. Once Henrik got in, it was lights out. Yeah, like The fans uh, the fans were on their feet. It was a start of a phenomenon, and he's been a phenomenon for 14 years here. And as I said, he is a Hall of Fame lock. But when you have that, when you've been that, when you've accomplished all that, and that's what you know, that's who you are, that's how you play, and then things are different, and the dynamics around it are different, and now you're the 2-slash-2-slash-3-slash-1A guy, that's a different world, man. It's a different world. And I know it's been very challenging for him. He's still you know, a consummate pro. He's a great guy. As, high, as competitive as he is, at his heart of hearts, he's a great person. But it's been challenging for him. It certainly has been challenging. But he tries to put his work boots on every day, do what's asked of him, try to do more than what's even asked of him. He wants to contribute. He burns to play and to compete. But it's been a different season for him. Now, how do I see it shaking out where that's concerned? I'm not at liberty to, to say what Hanky should do. If I were him, I would, at this point, his legacy is secure here in New York. He's always one of the best players that's ever played in the history of this franchise, let alone the league. I would be looking at another opportunity. If it was me, although right. my, we don't have the same last name. But <laughs> I'd be looking at, a, at another opportunity, man. I'd be looking right now, Arizona, hey, does Kemper hurt again? Okay, he got injured yesterday. Is it long-term? Will he be able to play down the stretch? If not, hey, I'm available. Yeah, no. I, Colorado, are yeah. you guys locked in? I love Francois. I think he could be really good. And obviously, Grubauer's made major strides. We know that from backing up in Washington where he's now. Are you guys locked in? Are you sure? Are you positive? Are you sure? Are you positive? I really think San Jose should have done it last year. I really do, Dan. I think San Jose should have been proactive. I love Doug Wilson. I've been a big fan. He's one of the most consistent and classiest managers in the game. 
they've had a real great run. But I felt as though had they gotten to uh, had they gotten to him being uh, Hank last year, I think they would have been in a much different situation. I thought they should have been proactive on that, and they didn't. So those are the three potential fits, just as we're hot stoving here on the podcast. But I'm curious to see where it goes. And as far as their, their situation, the Rangers, the Rangers are sitting pocket aces. You kidding me? You've got a future <laughs> Hall of Famer. You've got Georgiev, who you got as a diamond in the rough, who you've polished up, who's now an NHL goalie and very good as a young goalie who just turned 24. And you've got, arguably along with Merzlikens, who the two guys that are considered, and Sorokin, who the Islanders have, who have been content, considered to be the best goalies outside of the NHL. And you have that in uh, one of those guys in uh, Shestjorkin, who's now become awesome at the NHL level. So everything he's done at every other level, he's doing now. And I think that that's huge. They are in a great situation. But I'm very curious to see how they handle it. And as I said on there on the NHL Network, my key is how they communicate with everybody, how honest they are, how respectful they are, and transparent they are. You should always be those things. But when you've got a three-goalie monster, you have to be those things 3x in order to treat the goalies properly it's a great situation but there's as you well know there's no good way of saying goodbye to a franchise icon before he wants to say goodbye right there's just no good way to do that there's no good way to do it there's a lot of bad ways there are i can tell you that you don't want to do any of those either yeah (laughs) you know what i mean like yeah that's what i'm saying the communication the transparency the respect all those things they need to be done a certain way. You have to have a lot of finesse with that, a lot of empathy, a lot of compassion, and uh, and the right tone and tenor. Because if any of those things are off, for a guy that's carried you for 14 years and, you know, given you a great run and is going down as a Hall of Famer and arguably a top five, top six, winning its all-time goalie, as for the numbers, you got to respect that properly as well. Is it the same situation in Nashville with Pekka Rene? Relatively, I mean, Pekka's had a great career. He, too, was a Vesna finalist for years. He, too, won a Vesna. He, too, got them to a Stanley Cup final. He, too, played internationally for Finland. Pekka's had an excellent career as well. It's he's similar. struggling now, too. He, it's, he's sim- it's similar. Yeah. And it's crazy because I saw Pekka close up at Winter Classic, and I watched him, forget the game, because I thought he played well in the game, but I watched him at field level at the Cotton Bowl in practice, he was incredible, man. Like, honestly, picking cherries out of the air, glove save, glove save, glove. He looked so good. And then in the game, he played really well, too. But he's, overall, he hasn't been himself. That team, as you know, too, Dan, they haven't been themselves this year. They're very loose. They're very wide open. There are a lot of underperformers on that team. In fact, my three players on that Preds team this year that have played really well are Nick Bonino who's having a tremendous season, Rocco Grimaldi, who's having a very good season, and Roman Yossi, their captain, who's having an incredible season. Right, yeah. And the other guys that I didn't mention, and I've talked to David Poyle about this in and around uh, the decision to make the coaching change with uh, Hines, John Hines going there in place of Peter Laviolette, is the fact that, quite frankly, a lot of the horses just aren't galloping the way they need to. And it's frustrating because, you know, Nashville's a great place to play. David Poyle's a you know, he's the longest tenured GM in NHL history. You know, he's a, he's a great person. They treat those guys exceptionally well. Their ownership is, is buttoned up now. Everything's great. And, but a lot of those guys got their contract extensions, and some of those guys just they play today, they don't play tomorrow. They're okay right now. They're good. They're really good. They're excellent. You see it, then after it goes away. 
So as David Poyle pointed out, it's that inconsistency that's been frustrating for their group. And uh, it's that kind of ties into Pekka's inconsistency this season as well. But it is very similar since you asked that. Yeah, overall it is very similar. Yeah, Two I- franchise icons of their respective teams. No question. You mentioned you mentioned obviously these predators. I mean, Philip Forsberg's got I think two goals in the last ten games. Matthew Shane's got one in the last twelve. Ryan Johansson's got two in the last fifteen. I mean, you got to score I'm more. Philip Forsberg. I'm Philip Forsberg, and I say this all the time. If I'm Philip Forsberg, what I do is I go and hire a Fulpa, Peter Forsberg, <laughs> and the same way God bless their soul from from perishing in the uh, in the helicopter crash the late great Kobe Bryant and all the passengers but Kobe specifically that's what Kobe made available that's what Jordan made available to Kobe and to, and to Scottie Pippen and Kobe was doing that in turn to other players Kawhi Leonard spent time with Kobe Bryant Kyrie Irving spent time working on his game there's different guys that come out now publicly that's if I'm if I am uh, Philip Forsberg with all the skill he has I'm hiring Peter Forsberg to work on my game because yeah. Philip Forsberg has, he's one of the most talented guys in the league. He should score forty in his sleep. With his skill, he should score forty. But as I say, when he has Peter in his game, and when he has a little bit of edge to him, and he's taking the puck to the net, and he's walking the goal line, and he's challenging D, that's when he's at his best. And there's room for more of that in his game. And if he brings more of that to the table, I think he's a better player. Ryan Johansson, we've had the same conversations for years. The intensity is there. It's not. It's there. It's not. If he wants to be serious, he could be a top top eight centerman in the league if he's really dialed in and he really believes in himself. And then in the case of uh, Matt Duchesne, I think Matt Duchesne's a really good player. But I, the challenge with Duchesne is he doesn't have to be – to me, he doesn't have the lead horse characteristic. He's an excellent complementary offensive player. But in saying that, he got off to a great start so far this year. And to your point, you look at the numbers and where they are right now or where they aren't right now, and it's become it's become disappointing from a production standpoint based on his skill and talent. So if you have those three guys up front that are that skilled and that talented and the production rates are where they are and not where they should be, that's a big part of, aside from the defensive stuff, that's a big part of, of where Nashville is. Like Roman Leosi has 55 points. He's a plus 21. He's a defenseman. He's got 17 more points than anybody on that team. I was going to say. Philip Forsberg's next at 38 points and is a dash five. Yeah. Roman Yossi is having an unbelievable season. An incredible year. A Norris Trophy year. Yeah. Yeah. Heart Trophy year if they make the playoffs. Heart Trophy year if they make the playoffs. Absolutely. No question about it. Absolutely. Another defenseman used to be with Nashville, traded for Ryan Johansson, Seth Jones, Blue Jackets, out with the injury. This is another major blow to this team. You think they make it? You think they can hang on here? I mean, look at the names on this list of injury. Now Seth Jones, Josh Anderson, Alexander Wenberg, Cam Atkinson missed the game, Ryan Murray, Alex Texier. Uh, Dubinsky hasn't played all season. It's insane. Uh, do you think they can They can withstand another one? I do. Yeah? <laughs> I do. Why? It's just so. the nature of the way the yeah. team plays? Just the, the exactly. team game? Exactly. Yep, the, the way the team plays. And, you know, contrary to what Torts will say, because, you know, I played with Torts and he worked with us on the NHL Network. Torts, if you're listening and when you do tone in, never mind saying anybody doesn't give you any G-damn respect. <laughs> I've been giving you guys respect for the last two years and saying this team, this team has a lot of potential. I like the way the way this team's built. Yarmo Kekalein, the scouts have done a really good at JD at the time. Then he bolted to come to New York for different reasons. We understand that. But all that to say, I like the build of the team. I like the way the team plays. I like the pieces. 
I've been saying that on and on and on ad nauseum. And when they lost both Panarin and Bob, and Panarin especially is a top five player on the planet for me, when they lost both those guys, there were a lot of eyebrows raised. And I remember talking, I was literally in Lugano, Switzerland last year. We were in Milan, and we went to Lugano, Switzerland. And they had just gone on the road. And their former coach who was coaching them last year, Greg Ireland, uh, a good friend of mine from back in Toronto, I was asking him about this Elvis Merzlikens. He gave me the full breakdown. Next thing you know, all of a sudden, Columbus brings him in. They have him this year, and he stubs his toe. He can't get it going. He's learning the league. He's learning North America. Next thing you know, it's a Henrik Lundqvist-esque yeah. type explosion all over again there in Columbus. So, And not to mention, Corpus Allo was incredible. He was named to the All-Star team until he got hurt. So the way their team plays, man, these guys don't take a backseat to anybody. I like that Sports has been able to kind of impart on these guys that nobody gives them any respect, you know, et cetera, et cetera. How much of that's true? Not much where I'm concerned, but nonetheless, they're buying into it, so keep doing it for <laughs> And they're playing in groups of five, units of five, uh, at even strength. They do a great job on the penalty kill. They defend hard. Brad Shaw's done an amazing job with the, with the uh, defense. But they also have Zach Wierenski. Wierenski, I think, is awesome, aside from that silly turnover he had last night on the game-winning goal uh, against. But um, all that to say, against Tampa, the Kucherov goal. But all that yeah, to I say, Wierenski's been money. He's been money this year. He's been awesome. I love both of those guys. And a guy in their blue line that doesn't get enough credit is Savard. Savard's done an awesome job. You look at the blocks he has, the way he impacts the game, physical in and around their net. And I don't know, if I'm Columbus's ownership group, I'm going to Manny Legacy, I'm going to my private banker, and I'm giving Manny Legacy an extra $100,000. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. Manny will take it. I don't think Manny's going to turn it down. No, he's not going to turn it down. No way. Uh, that's, Manny's not turning that down. And Manny and I talked about this, and I'm going to bring it to the podcast. They need to up, whatever they pay him, triple it. Because yeah. if you lose the best goal of your franchise history, which Bob's was, make no mistake about it, he won two Vesnas, and you're going to tell me that you bring in Merzlikens and Bob Understudy, and both of them are studs, and both of them are playing like all-stars, and one was named the all-star? No, man, that's incredible. And then you also have the other youngster, um, the third goalie, the Latvian goalie, and Kovnikis, yeah, Matisse. who's also playing this year, like, this is incredible what Manny's been able to do. So all that to say, I like everything about their team, even with the injuries I say they get in. All right. Well, we'll see. I mean, yeah. they're 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 in a good spot right now. They they got seventy points, and you know they yeah. they they got a three point cushion, I guess, in the wild card. I'm going to ask you about the other division, Toronto, sixty six points, twenty two regulation wins, fifty six games played. Florida, sixty four points, two more regulation wins, twenty four. One fewer game played. Who gets in? <laughs> That's a hard question, right? Toronto and Florida's lost three in a row, and Freddie's coming back for Toronto. Man. Stumped him. Florida, yeah, and I was going to tell you why. Florida can score a lot, too. They, but can they defend? Florida can they can, keep it out? N- neither team can. That's yeah. the whole point. That's, so what, that's say, a good point. Like, Toronto maybe has more game breakers that could bust the game open offensively. Obviously, with Austin, Mitch Marner, you know, um, Nylander, etc. Uh, I think I I hate betting against Joel Quenville, second winningest coach all time. When it's all said and done, I would say Florida over Toronto. I, I would I would agree with you. 
And, and I think because... Toronto hasn't addressed any of their needs. Florida had needs and they addressed them, right? Yeah, so well... the only need that yeah. Toronto addressed, really, for me, is Jack Campbell. And it was long overdue. And as I said on the air, on the NHL Network, Toronto had the guy in Curtis McElhinney. He was the guy. Yeah, they, they let him go. The guy. Let him go, right? They and they fumbled... The, not fumbled, they botched that. That was a botch. Mm-hmm. They, complete, they completely botched that. And as a result, they put themselves in a bad spot. I've always been huge on Freddie since his first game in Anaheim. My buddy Sudsy, who's their goalie coach in Anaheim, told me, we see as great as Gibson's going to be, as great as he is, Freddie Anderson, we've got this guy to Denmark, you watch and see. So I've always been a Freddie Anderson guy too. So they got him. Freddie's been amazing, all-star, everything else, their most important player. But all that to say, they've, ha- they've been porous defensively. They've been loose. They continue to be that. They've never got the front-line B-men. They got Jake Muzzin at a different stage in his career, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, a yeah. few years back. And, you know, obviously L.A. and the whole thing, number two to Dowdy, you know, arguably number two D-man there and everything else. But at this stage of their career, there were too many good defensemen that were on the market, and the Leafs never got one. So as far as I'm concerned, for that reason, they never addressed that. They did address the, the, back, the back of goalie situation finally by getting Jack Campbell, which I think is a great get. But – all things being equal, I'm an, I'd roll with the Panthers. Rolling with Joel Quenville. You can't go wrong with rolling with Joel Quenville, Kevin. Thanks so right. much for, jump, for jumping on today. This was great, man. Thank you, all right? My pleasure, man. No problem. Thanks for having me on. It was great to run the gamut there with uh, Kevin Weeks. Uh, terrific insight. Great perspective on so many things throughout the National Hockey League. Played with some guys that are still in the league. Played for a number of the coaches. And his perspective on Henrik Lundqvist I really appreciate because he was there when Lundqvist jumped into the league and, and took off in New York and became the king of New York. And he might be hitting on something here like, Hank, maybe it is time to go get another opportunity somewhere. His legacy, unless he were to get in the number one job again and go help the Rangers win the Stanley Cup in the next year and a half, his legacy is cemented in New York in the way it's only going to be cemented, which is numbers going to go up to the rafters, and I think he'll be a Hall of Famer, no question about it. And they'll bring him back, and he's going to get applauded, and the standing O's, and it may never stop. But uh, time's seriously looking like it's coming to an end in New York for Henrik Lundqvist, who still has one year left on his deal. All right, we'll move right along to our next guest. She is out in Vancouver right now, Emily Benjamin, normally in Boston. That's where she lives, covers the Bruins for NHL.com, but she's out in Vancouver doing a lot of reporting on some unique stuff going on out there right now. Emily, what's going on? How you doing? I am great. I'm in Vancouver. I've actually got yeah. a nice stretch of weather, no rain, so <laughs> I consider myself very lucky. It's rained here in the New York, New Jersey area, it seems like forever, and I think it's going to continue to rain forever. Uh, but uh, what are you doing out in Vancouver? I mean, you're Boston-based here. What are you doing out in Vancouver? Just thought I'd take a nice little <laughs> mid-season vacation. <laughs> it's a nice place to go. Why wouldn't you go there? No, no, but you're doing some reporting on an interesting feature, though, out there, right? I am. This is actually uh, uh, as soon as Cambry Granado was named uh, a scout for the new Seattle franchise, uh, whatever they're going to be called, the Sockeye, the Kraken, the NHL Seattle for our purposes right now. (laughs) That's right. Um, As soon as they named her uh, a scout, I I immediately contacted uh, their PR person and said, when can I go out? When can I do a story on this? What can we make happen? And so we've been in process on this story since uh, I think she was named in in October. Um, And, uh, yeah, so I I am doing a story on, on her new job as the NHL's first female scout. Uh, she's based here in Vancouver. 
uh, which explains my location currently. Um, and she's she's working on uh, figuring out the Western Conference uh, for NHL Seattle. So I find this to be fascinating because I've never sat with a scout at a game and sort of watched everything that they do. You got an opportunity to do, you've had an opportunity now to do that with Cami Granato without giving away too much of the story because you still have to write it and we don't want to, we want, we want everybody to read it. But what was that like to, you know, what was your maybe one or two takeaways from sitting with the, with her and, and sort of watching what she does during a game? Absolutely. It was really interesting, actually. So the, I, I've been here for, for two games on Saturday. Um, one of the uh, few, the Seattle franchise doesn't have that many employees, but there are actually two Seattle employees here on Saturday. Uh, one of their analytics people was there. So I got to sort of watch them watch the game on Saturday. And then uh, last night against the Predators, I got to sit and talk to her about, you know, what she was seeing. And, and it's just really interesting to see how she approaches it. Um, it's not something she, she's really done before, but obviously she has a wee bit of hockey expertise, um, <laughs> you know, being a, a Hall of Famer. Right, I was going to say, know, she is in the Hall of all, Fame. Yeah. All-time legend. Yes, yes, a Hall of Famer. Um, so she has a little bit of, of street cred. So it's just really interesting to sort of see how she sits there and, and watches the game, um, how she approaches it, you know, how, how many players she is able to watch at a time. Um, you know, one of the interesting things to me was, was she, you know, she's saying, you know, you can't watch everyone. So you have to pick and choose and, and how she figures out who to pick for each game and, and, and how to focus, whether that's the first period and the th- or the third period, was really interesting to me. I, I like you, had ne- have never done that before, and, and it was a window into, into a world that we don't really get to see that often. Absolutely. So we'll look for that story in the coming weeks, right? That's right. I believe March 1st you'll see it. Well, there you go. So we've got to all read that one. But you also catch, being in Vancouver now, you catch... Sedine week and you know so Henrik and Daniel are back in Vancouver uh, well they're, they live in Vancouver but they're being honored uh, by the Canucks for everything they've done for the organization and they had Legends Night when uh, Monday night when they played Nashville what has it been like to sort of be around that I know your your primary objective is Cami and 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 doing that story but you you do catch this huge week in Canucks history as well that's Vancouver crossing guard Daniel Sedin. I, I would like to really correct you. Are you kidding? That's right. No, I am not kidding. Vancouver crossing guard Daniel Sedin. Wow. That's right. Right. That's right. <laughs> they, the two of them are. I always wondered what really, they do in retirement. <laughs> the answer is they ran a half marathon on Sunday together. I think Daniel won by one second. Of course, sounds about right. Yep. And uh, yeah, apparently they, you know, they take their kids to. To the park, and they act as well. Only Daniel, I think, is a, is a crossing guard. But um, they have really settled into life here in Vancouver, and I think that's that's fascinating. And they they said that they've really sort of become, you know, part of the fabric of the community. These guys are all time all time great Canucks. Obviously, their their numbers numbers will be in the rafters uh, starting tomorrow. But um, you know, they're just trying to be sort of normal guys and, and normal dads, and, you know, figure out this, this life outside of hockey. And, and they really, they said, you know, we know some guys struggle um, after they leave the game, you know, not having that in their lives. And they said they really haven't. They've really eased into this new life. Um, and, and it's been, it's been great to see how um, obviously Canucks fans have had, you know, an evolving relationship with the Sedins. Um, 
but how much they have appreciated them this week. The ovation when they were uh, shown yesterday, last night, um, w- was lovely. I got to think that at least Henrik gets up in the morning and goes to the street to pass the stop sign to Daniel. I mean, right? I mean, they, he has to be involved in some way with an assist, right? I mean, he has to be. They can't do one thing without the other. Clearly. Absolutely. <laughs> or maybe, that, maybe that's on the, on the soccer field as, as they uh, you know, watch their kids play soccer or something. It's great. You know, I, I so thoroughly enjoyed covering those two guys when, you know, anytime I had a chance, whether the Canucks rolled through town here in New York or I was out in Vancouver, that it doesn't surprise me at all. And I imagine the same with you, right? I mean, it doesn't surprise you, me at all that they are trying to just work their way into the fabric of the community and just be regular, regular dudes, just regular dads, regular parents, just, you know, doing the things that anybody else would do. Exactly. And, and what was interesting to me was we were talking to Henrik yesterday and, and he was saying that, you know, it might have been different for them if they went back to Sweden immediately. If yeah. they sort of, you know, uprooted their lives and they they left and they went home, and and that might have been more difficult. This is sort of this is what their lives have been like for eighteen years, uh, outside of the hockey part, of course. But they've lived here, um, they've made this their home, and and that's what they're continuing to do right now. And and they really sort of love these lives that they're building and, and getting to see their kids more and and getting to to be. Just, you know, just regular. probably, yeah, regular <laughs> dad, you know, yeah. the guy down the street. I think it's great. Uh, did you get a sense from them on what they think of the current Canucks, who's now in teams in first place right now? And they, you were there last night. I mean, they, they handled Nashville pretty well. It, I think my, my favorite part was we were asking uh, Henrik, you know, someone was asking Henrik about, uh, you know, do you give these guys power play advice? Do you say something? And Henrik goes, well, they're eighth in the league in the power play. I don't think they need any advice. <laughs> it's true. The fact He's right. that, that he knows that, that they are keeping up enough. I mean, they're watching these games. They're watching these young stars. And um, and, and they do have a, an interesting perspective. And, and they're saying, I, I was you know talking to them about, you know, whether... Um, you know, what... The, you know, if the future of Vancouver is, is in good hands and... and they're really impressed by by what these young guys are are doing with the Canucks and 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 the fact that maybe it was good for them to sort of pass over the franchise at the time that they did to to allow them to blossom on their own and not having you know sort of the cities hanging over them. So I think it's sort of a a moment where the torch has been passed in Vancouver. These guys are really good. It looks like they um, can make the playoffs. Maybe should make the playoffs. Um, and it'll really be sort of a, a new time with this franchise. Absolutely. By the way, he's wrong. The Canucks right now are tied for sixth in the power play, 23.4%. This, this so, was before last night. All right. So, so. Yeah, I thought he was, you know, he's, 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 he's got <laughs> to get up to date a little bit there, Henry. Come on. Um, wanted to bring it back home to you, though. Uh, Boston, here we go. The Bruins, their lead is down to three points right now in the Atlantic Division because the Tampa Bay Lightning don't lose. Tampa Bay is 19-2-1 since December 23rd. They play her home against uh, the Bruins on March 3rd and in Boston on March 7th. What, what Do you get a sense, and I know you're in Vancouver now, but you're around the Bruins all the time. Are they feeling any heat by the Lightning? You know, I think they're confident in, in who they are and, and, you know, what they have, and, and they are an extremely good team. But I, I think, you know, they've got to be kicking themselves for all those Overtime shootout losses. There yeah. are so many points that they left on the board, you know, at a time when they were up really big. You know, they had a lot of cushion 
at one point, and and there are just a lot of you know one point here, one point there, one point here that they let slip away. Um, I mean, they're terrible in the shootout, so I don't know if they let slip that slip away or they're just incapable of scoring a shootout goal. But you know, that's that's something that they could have had such a bigger you know, cushion in the Atlantic, and they don't anymore. And, and this Tampa team is really good. It's not like this is that different of a team than, than the team we saw last year for all the playoff issues they had. Um, so I think, yeah, I think they're starting to understand that they can't take their foot off the gas at this point. And, and it's a veteran team. It's a, it's a bunch of guys who've been through this before. Um, they're not going to let themselves, you know, get, you know, too off their game by this, but you know they they have to be understanding that that they're not in nearly as good position as they were before. Yeah, and you look at you though. Throw, yeah, though I was, I was yeah. going to say, in some ways, finishing second in the Atlantic uh, yes. might be better than finishing first. <laughs> yeah, not a, not a bad spot considering you don't know right now if it's Florida, uh, is, is it Toronto, uh, and you avoid. Of uh, what could be a very good uh, Metropolitan Division team, like you know the Blue Jackets were last year, playing for it in the last two months of the season, playing playoff hockey in the last two months of the season. But you talk about points that they've left on the board. How is it even a thing that they've lost both games in regulation to the Detroit Red Wings? I mean, th- that doesn't make any sense to me. It it is unbelievable. Yeah. It's uh, for. Uh, you know, you have the only thing you can think of is they see, you know, it's not great for them, but that they see Detroit on the schedule and they say, okay, maybe we can take this one off. And and that's a terrible thing for a good team to do. Um, and and you can be sure that, you know, they, they're playing with Detroit again on Saturday. And, and I'll be really interested to see if they can, I don't know, win that game. That's a 5 nothing Boston win. <laughs> that's a, they're winning that game 5 nothing. They ain't losing to them again. No chance. One one would expect yeah. that one would hope, but I wouldn't have expected them to to lose the other two either. I mean, you know, uh, the Sunday game was tough. They you know they played the day before it was a back to back with travel to Detroit, so it's not an optimal situation. They you know they they beat the Coyotes on Saturday. They have to go for I think it was you know a one o'clock or a noon game, twelve thirty maybe in in Detroit. So not optimal, but you still got to win that you one. You got to win that game. You got to win it now. I wanted to ask you, too, I mean, obviously we have the deadline coming up here. You know, what do you think Don Sweeney's thinking? Where's the need for the Boston Bruins right now? (sighs) You know, I think the need is is where it always is. You need to figure out your depth scoring on the team. You need to not just have one top line that can score. I mean, it's been something that we've talked about, I don't know, it seems like every year. Yep, year after year after year. It's who's going to score outside of those top three guys, right? Year after it, year. It, and, and you know, I, I think, you know, they continue to hope that some of these guys that they've drafted will be those guys, and they continue to, you know, not quite get there. I mean, you find some of that scoring. You, you develop a Jake, Jake DeBrusque, and, and, and that works with, with David Krejci for a while. But, yeah, they, you know, and, and they have coil now in the fold. But you need to make sure that, that – that this team can score outside of that top line. And that is what it has been now, what it has been forever. Um, you know, the, it's, it's a team that's, that's solid defensively, that's solid in net. They don't need help 
there, but they do need some some depth scoring. Yeah, and I know that they would love to have Chris Kreider come home to Boston. Indeed, that, they would love it. That, that's I, the name that pops out. You know, yeah. the question is, is as as you have talked about on the podcast before. You know, I just want to get my street cred as a <laughs> yeah, you, as you're a listener. listener. Yeah, you're a listener. Question is, you know, do do the Rangers make that move? Do the Rangers, you know, let him let him go? Is the, maybe the wrong way to phrase it, but do they? Well, sent him out of, yeah. of their organization. I give the short answer is they shouldn't. The it's the the answer's got to be a lot longer than that because he's not signed yet, and there doesn't seem to be much traction there with a contract at the present time. Though there is still time remaining before the deadline, so those things can get ironed out. But one other thing I wanted to touch on with you: you did a story uh, on Mark Stone, a terrific piece on NHL.com on Stone being the growth, you know, the the growth of the player, the growth of the Selkie Trophy candidate, and you talked to a lot of people for that story, and I wanted to get what are maybe one or two takeaways you took from from that story on Mark Stone and why he is such an impactful player for Vegas. Yeah, I think the the interesting thing for for me is that this is a guy who has literally been studying the game of hockey since he was three, four, five years old. You know, I think my one of my favorite quotes was uh, his dad said, "You know, most kids watch cartoons. Mark watched yeah. hockey tapes. Yeah, and, and that was just." the kid that he was. He loved hockey. He loved playing it. He loved going out in the driveway. He loved going out, um, you know, on the, on the outside, playing outside in Winnipeg. Um, and, and many Canadian kids do. That's not an abnormal story. But just the, the mind that he has and the way he was able to see the game, it's something that, you know, so many people marveled at. I talked to, to Paul Stastny, to, to, you know, to teammates, to, um, you know, former coaches, that, that it was something that just was apparent. Um, you know, as, as, as soon as you started really watching him, Kelly McCrimmon said that, you know, I mean, he, he ran into him at the Brandon Wheat Kings when he was 15 years old, and, and he said as soon as you started watching him, you could see that mind working at all times, and and that's something that allowed that and a lot of hard work allowed him to overcome skating that that wasn't that great and and still isn't perfect. I mean, he's not the guy that you you'd pick um, as a as a pretty skater, but he can get where he needs to go partially because he knows where he needs to go before anyone else does. Yeah, no, absolutely. So let me ask you this: You think he leads or helps lead? Vegas, the first place in the Pacific Division, will that be where they finish? I think I think that's where they finish. I think they win, they win the division. That's a team that's that's tested. It, weird as weirdly as it as weird as it is to say that that is the team that's tested. Yeah, um, I know you know, the other Pacific yeah. teams. <laughs> it's a team that you know didn't exist five years ago um, or wasn't playing hockey five years ago. They are more tested than you know, like a very young Vancouver team that's led by guys like Quinn Hughes and and. Brock Besser and and um, Pedersen and it, it has been through the fires more than Edmonton, um, so I think that maybe wins out in the end in a, in a division that's uh, incredibly close. I mean, it can shift every night. So um, yeah, I think that if I were a betting person, which I am decidedly not, <laughs> I think that's probably. Uh, where, where no pun intended really but i think i'd bet on vegas bet on vegas yeah no well i agree with you and this was great stuff thank you so much for jumping on all right thanks for having me you can follow amelie on twitter at amelie benjamin i am really looking forward to that story that she's got cooking right now with cammy granado that's that's going to be a good read i would love the opportunity i haven't done it the opportunity to scout 
a game with with a scout to see exactly what they do. So she's gotten that opportunity, and I'm sure she's going to knock it out of the park. So let's bring it back full circle. We know our esteemed co-host, Sean Rourke, is not here right now because he's flying to Colorado. I will be going on Thursday. The Stadium Series game is Saturday, and you got the Kings and the Avalanche, two teams who couldn't be going in more opposite directions right now. The Avalanche news today, Nazem Kadri out indefinitely, so that certainly hurts them. You see what what is Joe Sackick going to do now in advance of the trade deadline with the news that Nazem Kadri is going to be out, and will the Avalanche have a new player by Saturday? Will somebody who we don't know who it is be in an Avalanche jersey outdoors at Air Force to play in that game because he was acquired in a trade? We'll see. Joe Sackick's got some work to do here. They are second in the Central Division, but you got to solidify that place, and you can't same thing with what Emily was talking about with the Bruins. You can't just rely on one line if you're Colorado. And and that line for Colorado, it went together with McKinnon, Ranton, and Lanniskog is terrific. But they brought Kadri in to be that secondary scoring option, to run his own line. He's been good. Now he's out indefinitely. Are they going to be able to fill to get some offense in? So that's one thing to look at from the Avalanche perspective. And from the Kings perspective, they just ran through here in the East Coast and and, uh, through the New York area. They continue to lose. They continue to uh, just – they're in the cellar in the Western Conference, and they are sellers. So I was able to catch up with Rob Blake, saw him a little bit, uh, their GM, caught up with Todd McClellan as well. And both of those guys – believe that the trade deadline is hanging over the the kings like a dark cloud right now that uh, that that it's just there it's lingering and guys don't know what's going on and they need to get past it but certainly there are more moves to make for LA or some is somebody that we anticipate right now going to be on the ice at Air Force Academy is he not going to be there is that Tyler Toffoli or Ben Hutton or Joakim Ryan Trevor Lewis is it Alec Martinez any one of those guys, if not all of those guys, are going to be moved. So interesting times, no doubt, for both teams that are going to be playing outdoors Saturday night at Falcon Stadium and Air Force Academy. I will be there. Sean will be there. Very much looking forward to it. And there's more to come, obviously. Lots of games, trade deadline chatter, what's going to happen with the Oilers. We tried to touch on it all here. And we'll see what happens within the next week before we talk to you next week. And until then, enjoy the games. Enjoy the games.